his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Yeah, we're back too. Sue's here. She made it also. How about old Fred Bottenheimer over there, ladies and gentlemen? Fred is back. Abby's here. The show is whole. After several weeks of not being whole, Sue, how are you this afternoon? I am well, thank you. Fred, welcome back. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. All those things. We haven't seen each other all together for just a little while, so it's good to have everyone back. We have some pretty big news today in the fact that Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, is no longer the president of Harvard. She she has finally resigned. I want to share some holiday stuff here with the gang, but here's what happened. John Roberts read this earlier. Claudine Gay is stepping down as the president of Harvard University. She just released a resignation letter, which says in part, when I became president, I considered myself particularly blessed by the opportunity to serve people from around the world who saw in my presidency a vision of Harvard that affirmed their sense of belonging their sense that Harvard welcomes people of talent and promise from Mm -hmm. every background imaginable. Except for conservative background. But, you know, that's just a little minor point. Learn from and grow with one another. Some Jewish students might take exception to that. She also said, when my brief presidency is remembered, I hope it will be seen as a moment of reawakening to the importance of striving to find our common humanity and not allowing rancor and vituperation uh, vituperation, sorry, to undermine the vital process of education. Yeah, I had to look up vituperation, by the way. Uh, two, six, I still really didn't even look it up. Do you know what it means? Uh-uh. It's a big word. If you're president of Harvard, I think you got to use it. What does threw it mean, it Fred? I think she just threw it in. She made it up, probably. I, I think you're well, right, Well, now Fred. I feel like Sue's got to look it up. Will you look it up? What, what do, V-I-T-U-R vituperation, Going in. I think. <laughs> I, I did, you know, in all seriousness, I did mean to look it up because I read the statement. One thing about Claudine Gay's statement, yeah. she probably didn't write her own statement. <laughs> she plagiarized it, right? We should realize that right That's now. That's right. She actually did. Uh, it's a noun meaning bitter and abusive language. Oh, okay. They they got out the thesaurus for that one. Mm. So she's gone, and I love this, you know, the guy who came up with anti-racism, this uh, radical Ibram Kendi said, Ibram X. Kendi tweeted this, Racist mobs won't stop until they topple all black people from positions of power and influence who are not reinforcing the structure of racism. What these racist mobs are doing should be obvious to any reporter who cares about the truth or justice as opposed to conflicts and cliques. Only problem there is the um, the chick from Penn was white. 
right? Yep. So, Oops. you know, it's always, she pulls the race card too. It's always about race. That's why she is out of there. It's That's... not about the fact that she plagiarized about 150 things over the course. And by the way, some of this stuff, this, this is the other thing that's disgusting about this. The so-called Harvard Corporation, they knew about a lot of this stuff before this hearing took place. It was just exposed with Elise Stefanik and the other Republican members on that committee a few weeks ago. And that's what kind of gave it some some legs because they were already investigating this and kind of shoving it to the side saying nothing to see here. How much money do you think people were threatening to not give Harvard that actually made this happen? Yeah, I think a I fair amount. Would. Right. Well, and that's, Sue, I think you've kind of nailed it when, when it comes. Here's the other question about that is how much money are they giving Claudine Gay? You know, now she, Fred, she's still a professor, right? right? She will remain a professor yeah, so she's of African tenured. American studies, right? Oh. So we'll we'll see where this takes us. And of course, then you have, who who was it that tweeted this out? Um, you have to have. Wait a second, I think I took a screen capture of this because you have people out there saying, well, you know, who's going to replace her, right? It has to be a um, has to be a black woman, right? Has to be a black woman because or a black person. Why is that? Why why can't it be somebody else? Well, I think we know the answers to that. Here's um, who was it? Megan Kelly retweeted this. This is Celeste Ng um, Ng Celeste Ng. So what we've learned is bad faith bigots pretending they're concerned about anti-Semitism will happily use women of color, especially black women, as a scapegoat and a lightning rod for large systemic issues, and that people invested in maintaining those systemic issues will comply. And Megyn Kelly points out, well, you know, Liz McGill was also forced out, and she's pretty white, so that's all they have to hang their hat on right now. But we'll cover that here this afternoon. We're going to go up to Des Moines, Iowa. We have the Iowa caucuses. We've talked about the Iowa caucuses for maybe four years at this point, and they're going to take place two weeks from, um, well, a couple of days ago. I, I, I guess I feel today is Tuesday. Is today Tuesday? Yeah. Two weeks from last night. For a second there, I was fast-forwarding to Wednesday, Sue. See how hopeful I was? It happens. As we start the week. Um, but Joel Curtinitis is up in Des Moines. We're going to hook up with him here. We got Sue's News with Sue this afternoon. We also have a big announcement for uh, for Fred coming up a little after four. Fred's aware of the announcement, Sue. Should we just share the news at <laughs> yes, this point? Yes, we all know it. Fred is going to be inducted into the uh, St. Louis Media Hall of Fame, which is pretty important. Congratulations, and it's a, Fred. Deal. Thank he's, you very he's much. He's a Hall of Famer, and I appreciate it's it. well deserved. It's and we're going to go into that a little bit. Frank Absher, who is the founder and the chair of the St. Louis Media Hall of Fame, will um, explain all of that in the next hour. We have the start of the legislative session. In fact, I think Mark Cox is doing a show from Jeff City tomorrow live. Mary Elizabeth Coleman, state senator, who will be with us on the roundtable, is going to join us a little later. We have Andrew Bailey, the AG tonight. Ilya Shapiro from the Manhattan Institute talking about the um, the Trump situation being kept off the ballot in Colorado and Maine. So that and an audio cut of the day. Now, I told Sue, actually, I, I texted Fred a couple of times with some stories that I wanted to share from the uh, the holiday period. And Sue, in particular, Fred, when I came in last week, I did not tell her the, oh, the stories okay, on good. Tuesday. Although she did guess one. I said, well, I have a couple of stories. Do you remember what you said? Uh-uh. It, it was my daughter was actually here at the time. And you said, does one of them involve fire? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Sadly, it yeah. does. And then the other one, I got to tell you the other one, because this one's kind of crazy. It's a true story. All right, this goes back to, I think, Friday night from uh, right before Christmas, right? So the, the week we were, like that Friday when we finally took off, I think my last show was on Wednesday, just a couple of days later, I, um, 
looked outside. I'm trying to think of how this happened. Oh, I think I've mentioned we have neighbors that have two big dogs that moved in. They don't have a fence yet, so they're letting their dogs out. And when their dogs are out there and my dogs are out, everyone goes crazy and there's a lot of barking. It's just what dogs do. Sure. So on this Friday night, we let the dogs out, and there is, like, a lot of barking. And my wife says something about, you know, the other dogs being out. So I look outside, and my dogs are on the left side of the yard, not the right side of the yard. That's important because the other dogs are on the right side of the yard. And Duke has got this. Uh, this is my lab mix. He's got a, you know, he's Very just sweet. a. He is such a sweet dog. He's kind of a big baby, but he he has a bark when people come into the house. You know, as most dogs do, labs sure. in particular, wouldn't hurt anyone, right? But he has a, in my estimation, what would be a much deeper bark at this point. Oh, oh. And I look, and he's kind of backed <laughs> off from something. My other dog's to the left. In between both dogs, I, and now it was dark, okay? So I couldn't see exactly. I look, I'm like, uh, there's a body out there. Uh, what? There's, a, there's an animal body out there. It wasn't a person, oh. an animal body. So- at this point, well, I'm a little freaked out. I don't want to go out there or anything like that. It looked like a raccoon oh, to me, oh. sort of curled up in the middle of the yard. It was a big body. So I get the flashlight, and I come to find out it's a possum. Aww. And it's a big possum. So my daughter comes out. like I, I take her kind of piggyback, and I get the flashlight, and I show her. And I said to my wife, I'm like, look, I'm not going to deal with this tonight. I'll, let's let the dogs out you know, overnight or in the morning, let them out with the leashes in the front, and I'll deal with this in the morning. Mm. An hour later, guess what happened? What? That damn thing was gone. That's what I was going to say. It was playing possum. Okay, so I, you know, we've heard this, and I never really knew that it was real. Maybe I did, but I Google it. I think that the bar, whatever happens, it goes into some sort of shock, right? Mm -hmm. And it, you know, I kept looking, and it was there, and then about an hour after all this, I look out on the deck, and sure enough, it was just gone. I'm good. like, well, it well, was playing possum. because yeah. yay, possum. Right. Well, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I didn't want to kill it. I uh-uh. didn't really want to dispose of it anyway, no. so that's fine. But what was interesting is the way, man, the dogs, they didn't want to go up to that thing. They were keeping their good. distance. Even my little dog, who always goes up to things, he's like, I don't want any part of that, right? So good. it's interesting the way they send off the... Uh, the signals. Stay for away sure. from So me. I discovered that playing possum really is a, a thing. A thing. Good. Then on, um, uh, this is not a good story. I'm going to share it as a lesson to everyone else. I think uh, our Question. friend John O'Leary would yell at me for this one. Yes, oh, Sue. No. Question. Did, did you burn the siding? I did not. But, okay. But good. this is. This did you is... melt it in any way? No, I didn't. Okay. But, but here's here's the story. And this is what happened. All right. It's Christmas Eve. All right. And my uh, my son was in from Columbia, and his girlfriend were all watching some stuff on the couch. Alexa was in there. My wife was upstairs, and it was in the afternoon. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make a, a fire in the fire pit today, and sort of extend it into Christmas Eve. I do that quite a bit. And I went out there. And there was a bunch of cardboard that we had sort of thrown down. Sometimes we do that from the deck above the fire pit because we know we're going to burn, burn the cardboard. So there was a bunch of stuff that was out there that had not been burned. And it was getting out there, and it was you know soggy from some rain, and it had dried up a little bit. I'm like, I need to get rid of this because it was going to rain the next day. So I, uh, I light all of the cardboard on fire that's in the fire pit. I kind of stuff it into the fire pit. Oh. So it's in the fire pit, right? You look horrified, Sue. Well, I'm just how much and and was it okay? A fair amount. It was. Uh, yeah. a, it it was, sounds legit so far. Thank you, Fred. That's oh. why you have a fire. Did I do any? Thank you, Fred, for for <laughs> agreeing to that. But uh-huh. I think you might change your mind. So I I go inside. This was a fatal mistake, almost. I um, sit on the couch. We're watching stuff. I hear the doorbell. The dog's going crazy. The aforementioned dogs. My neighbor from next door that had those other dogs. She's ringing on the doorbell saying, hey, you, you have a piece of furniture that's on fire in the back of your yard. Oh, my gosh. So my wife, hey, there's furniture on fire. I go outside, 
And there's, you know, some uh, patio furniture. There's a couple of cushions that are on this piece of patio furniture that's essentially like a little uh, love seat couch type deal. And it was on fire. So they oh handed me, the neighbors gosh. were nice enough to hand me a fire extinguisher from across the fence. And I extinguished the, the blaze. It was just, what do you call that stuff? The uh, It's like wicker. Right? Oh, it was wicker. Well, there were cushions on it. Well, sure. Right, but it was like a wicker. You, of all people, should have metal. And oh, I repeat, my metal furniture. Good. Now, I will tell you this, that the uh, the flames and that particular piece of furniture were toward my backyard, toward a oh. creek that's in my backyard, right? So it was not toward the house. Okay. However, you can see the danger there. Right. Let me, so, 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 yeah, so, so you lit a I fire. The, yeah, the key thing was unattended. And left it. Unattended. Yeah. yeah. Yes, thank you, Fred. That yeah. was not, it wasn't smart. You lit a fire and went inside. <laughs> what could go wrong? I know. Yeah. I, 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 I got to tell you something. It was, that could have been really bad. Yeah, yeah. it could have. So I'm oh going to, I'm going to take it as a. What did your kids say? Well, they knew that it was idiotic. Even Alexa knew that. It wasn't very smart. I explained my stupidity. I confessed to it. And unfortunately, well, it's a lesson that I will not forget, especially because I should have known that the wind was whipping up. And, yeah. Oh, that's And that's why I wasn't going to light the fire in the first place. So there, kids out there, you be careful. And, I, you know, unfortunately, you guys know me. I've had a couple of different fire pit incidents, so hopefully one of these is not going to turn really bad. We're going to be a little bit more careful out there. We'll go up to Des Moines and find out where the caucuses are right now. Any impact from these other candidates versus Trump. Joel Curtinitis is up there. We'll hook up with him. Coming up next. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, getting closer to Iowa, all the candidates there over the weekend. Poll numbers are scary because we're leading by so much. Don't sit home and say, you know, I think we'll take it easy, darling. It's a wonderful day, beautiful. Let's just take it easy, watch television, and watch the results now because crazy things can happen. Are you ready to work hard over these next two weeks so that we win the Iowa caucus? I'm asking you for it, guys. Small group of us here, a lot of people in this community who couldn't be here today. 
Tell them what we talked about today. Bring them. Bring a hundred of them each if I'm going to ask you to do that to the Iowa caucus. I didn't hear Chris Christie's voice in there. He apparently is still running. I'm not exactly sure why. This is uh, Matthew Continetti from the American Enterprise Institute. DeSantis needs a surprise. He needs a Des Moines miracle to come in first or narrowly behind Trump to keep his campaign alive. And Haley, I think, wants to overperform in Iowa to set herself up for victory in New Hampshire. Let's go up to Des Moines right now. Joel Curtinitis, conservative political analyst, good friend of this show, up in Des Moines, kind of breaking it down. Joel is a DeSantis supporter. He has been, so we always like to make that clear. Mr. Curtinitis, Happy New Year. How are you this afternoon? Hey, doing great, Mark. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. I saw some of the numbers say, maybe you have these at the top of your head, but the numbers of uh, ad dollars going in for these candidates across media in Iowa is just astronomical, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. And that's even after uh, uh, Ramaswamy uh, went ahead and cut his his TV campaign here. So what what are you feeling kind of on the ground? We spoke about a month ago, believe it or not, you know, ahead of Christmas and we we're about a month out to the caucuses. Do you think that anything's changed? You know, the rest of the world kind of goes through the holidays. We put everything on hold. We start fresh right now. Was anything going on that might have made any changes in the last couple of weeks, Joel, in your opinion? You know, I don't think so. Um, I think that everybody was sort of looking for that consolidation moment uh, earlier in the season. And then as time has gone on, they've continued to pull different directions. The, the kind of the second tier of candidates have con- continued to pull in different directions. And so now we're just kind of seeing that um, that that fraying continue to happen. Um, there's this even split right now in polling between DeSantis and Haley that I don't know how much room there is for movement between now and caucus day. So what are the messages like? Let, let's talk about DeSantis and Haley in particular. You can mention Vivek. What's the messaging right now? Is it all negative against Trump? Is it not negative against Trump because they don't want to alienate the Trump voters? What are they doing? So DeSantis has uh, started to take on Donald Trump directly in his messaging and and in some of his campaign materials. But I I think the the sentiment is that it might be too little too late at this point. Um, Nikki Haley has really not said a, a negative word. She's been very, very careful um, about how she addresses the former President Trump, um, and to the point that a lot of people speculate she's really vying for a VP spot in the Trump administration. I don't know that that's going to. Didn't he? Did I even hear Trump weigh in on that? <laughs> he's, well, Trump, Trump weighs in on everything. It's just a question of whether he's going to weigh in the same way this week as last week. So, where are you on this as a DeSantis supporter? I mean, we've talked about this for a while. I think when we uh, spoke a year ago, Joel, I think things were looking pretty good for the Florida mm-hmm. governor as far as momentum candidates were. Um, well, I, I guess I would say it this way. Voters, I even did some of this experimenting here on this radio show with callers, seemingly were exhausted by some of the nonsense that Trump has provided. And they were ready for someone who could provide some of the same policies without the personality. Well, that changed because the voters started looking at all the nonsense that was going on with these prosecutors and kept charging with crime after crime. Trump, Trump's charm, I think, again, has sort of reinvigorated the people that might have dropped off. Uh, where are you on this right now, knowing the realities of the polling in the race? Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it is certainly a little bit disappointing for uh, early DeSantis supporters, but we also, you know, I'm a caucus veteran. I've seen this several times through, and so I know it just it, – things never pan out the way that you uh, would anticipate early on. And so, um, so it's not, not the first time for me. I do think that there's two good reasons, at least, that Trump has continued to maintain that lead and probably will continue to at this point. Um, one of those is just the, the resolute um, intention on, of the leftist media of keeping him in the spotlight – and making sure that he continues to be prosecuted and 
um, you know, so that he can play up that persecution card within his base very strongly. And it's hard to overcome that with any policy talk because that's a very emotionally driven topic. He's being persecuted. It's not right. The judge threw him off the ballot. All of these things that and, – and, and I'm not weighing in on the value of those at all. I mean, I think that a lot of things that have been done to President Trump have been preposterous, but it's also a terrific campaign uh, contribution to really keep those things front and center in front of his crowd. Um, and the second part is just that I think as people have uh, looked at the pendulum in some ways culturally starting to swing back to the right, they're looking at who they want at the front of that as sort of the tip of the spear. And I think Trump has this reputation ever since his first run as sort of being the – the bull in the China shop, the guy who's going to go fight, um, and he doesn't have the clean appearance that some of the others do. And I think there's a lot of the, the electorate that's particularly within the GOP conservative base is just angry enough that they want to, you know, take it to the man as best they can, and they feel like Trump's the way. And, Joel, you look at these numbers on the Democrat side, uh, the polling numbers for Biden, and the way that, you know, some of these little demographic bases have moved off of him, Hispanic voters and African-American voters in particular. I mean, they, they have to be completely panicked, especially considering they're facing a guy that they've told the rest of the country shouldn't be president. They're trying to keep him off the ballot in some states. How do you lose this badly to a guy like Donald Trump, the Democrats must be saying, right? Well, yes. And, and honestly, that's kind of the big that's kind of the big factor that I think has kept any of the other candidates from really gaining traction is that all along, the uh, the assumption from the GOP base was that Donald Trump is just dead on arrival. He's not electable anymore. But as soon as the polls have started to turn around and Biden is looking so weak against him, well, that argument's gone. And if that argument is gone, then it's sort of the natural thing for people to rally behind the former president and say, let's, you know, let's have the empire strikes back here. Let's, let's go back and and take it to them again. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking at. Before I let you go, just a little bit of a primer here on how that will all work on the 15th with caucus goers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, caucuses are uh, different than primaries. I know we didn't bring up uh, Vivek Ramaswamy very much, but he pulled his TV ads. It's an interesting strategy because um, this plays into your question, because primaries are more influenced by media than caucuses are. Here it's uh, it's kind of a local network in each location. You get together with your friends and neighbors uh, within the GOP and you meet in community centers and churches and things of that nature and actually talk through presidential preference, uh, preference as well as just electing party leadership. Um, a lot of those things go on at the same time uh, in the caucus. And so it, it's very personal. It's very open and upfront. It's discussions between neighbors. And uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I don't think the polls will exactly reflect it um, because there's a personal element that's hard to capture um, but I do think it's, it's probably, uh, I do think, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll just keep my uh, hat out of trying to overpredict at this point, Mark, and tell you, I think it's going to be exciting. Yeah. It's, it's tough because you, you just don't know, but you, you look in, you know, I, I think in Fox news had this at the top of the hour, if you're looking for something that might be a bit of a surprise, or maybe it was Continetti, uh, you'd have to have that polling be a little bit more narrow unless you don't believe in any mm-hmm. of it. Right. Right. And, and I don't, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, drinking our own our own uh, lemonade, so to speak, and, and saying that, you know, we're going to pull off a miracle that the polls don't get. There does have to be that margin of error that makes it doable uh, or at least achievable to gain momentum in the other early states. Uh, but I see that opportunity really drying up for all the other candidates pretty quickly. Uh, and your thoughts on the here? let me play one more piece of audio here. This is David Axelrod on these ballot exclusions. Uh, Ilya Shapiro, who is a constitutional expert, is going to come on my show a little later when when a lot of people were gone. And it's never clear to me how many people are caught up on the politics because of the holiday. But last week you had the secretary of state of Maine just um, making an executive order to keep Trump off the ballot. I do think it would rip the country apart if he were uh 
actually prevented from running because tens of millions of people uh, want to vote for him. I think if you're going to beat Donald Trump, you're going to probably have to do it at the polls. Joel, that's David Axelrod, right? That That's a Democrat mm-hmm. pundit there saying, wait, th- this is probably not a, a smart move. Your take on all of that right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's absolutely right. and probably understating the case. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not a person who tends to go toward extremes. I'm an analyst. But at the same time, like if all, all the people who talk about civil war, if you want to start making your way toward a civil war, that's how you do it. Um, and so I, I think it's a very foolish move. I would I would hope and uh, and suggest that the, the Supreme Court start reviewing these right away and uh, make it clear to the country that we, we don't allow that kind of thing. It's the voters that get to decide who gets in office, not the not the existing bureaucrats. Yeah, you talk about election interference. This would be the very definition of it. Joel Curtinite is up there in Des Moines. You have fun here in these final days before the caucuses. We'll check in right around that time. How does that sound, Joel? Sounds good. I'll try to get some sleep. All right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Happy New Year. Take care. 332 on the ballot exclusions. I want to get into that just a little bit. I mentioned Ilya Shapiro is going to join us. At 525, he's the director of constitutional studies for the Manhattan Institute. I am curious. I'm not a Supreme Court justice or a lawyer, even though Brian Kilmeade accuses me of being a lawyer, nor do I play one on the radio. It seems rather obvious that what the court did in Colorado certainly overstepped their authority. But we'll see what the high court actually does. Jonathan Turley talking about this. Well, the greatest concern, I think, for the Trump campaign is that you have the ultimate incrementalist and institutionalist in Chief Justice John Roberts. You have to remember, this comes a a little over 20 years since Bush v. Gore. Only one of the justices from that decision remains on the court. That is, of course, Justice Thomas. Um, A number of the justices, however, participated in that challenge for one of the parties. And so the memory of that is still lingering. It was deeply divisive for the court. Uh, that was really sort of embodied when, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg ended her opinion, which normally ends with, I respectfully dissent, and removed the word respectfully. And it really sort of captured how divisive this was, not just for the country, but the court. I think that some justices like Roberts would like that cup to move from their lips. That's interesting history there from Turley. And I think a lot of us remember well what happened in uh, in 2000. So what what would happen here? What's the possible outcome? I don't think there is an alternative here, particularly with Maine coming in. Now, there are some mootness arguments that can be made. It was a very clever way that Colorado structured this decision. Uh, If they run out the clock at the Supreme Court, Trump's name will just remain by default on the ballot. And Colorado can then avoid review. But I'm hoping that they won't do that. I'm hoping they'll put an end to this pernicious theory uh, that is deeply destructive to our democratic process. Yeah, he mentioned that. I'm I'm not so sure I realized that before Christmas. They could just kind of not deal with this and they run out the clock and then the, the name is on the ballot. I think this is too important to do that. And hopefully the court sees it that way. And we'll get from Ilya his opinion in the uh, five o'clock hour. I mean, Carl Rove makes a good point, you know, a good point here just on the um, the constitutional basis of this, which is why I think the Supremes have to weigh in. Well, it lo- it's anti-democratic and it looks like a stretch and it is a stretch. Uh, uh, you know, maybe one of the stories we'll find out in after November is that this was a clever plot by the Trump campaign to sucker left wingers into opposing and being on the ballot, knowing that it would uh, engender greater support for him and, and that their efforts to remove him from the ballot would eventually be over uh, overridden by the U.S. Supreme Court, which I fully anticipate. So there's Carl Rover. We'll keep you posted on that if the Supremes do something here in the next couple of days. And again, we have Ilya coming up. One other story I wanted to get to, and I have a great piece after the break from Jamie Reed. She was the Washu whistleblower, and 
Her updated opinion on all of that is really good. I tweeted it out earlier today. I'll get to that here in the next segment. Uh, Sue, did you see the uh, the Ian Ziering stuff? You I know, did not. The, do you know who he is? He used to be on Beverly Hills 90210. I think he also got known for um, Sharknado. Oh, yeah, the, you know the blonde about. guy. Yeah, the blonde guy. So this is frightening. He... Um, He's in Hollywood. He's actually on Hollywood Boulevard. And you know how you have those uh, kind of those mini biker gangs? Oh, yeah. Like we have surra- here. Yeah, we have them. They surround you. So he feels this is the best uh, account of the story. He thinks something. They're surrounding his car. And he thinks something hit his car. Uh-oh. He gets out of the car to check the front of it. And he's essentially surrounded by this gang. And they start throwing punches and haymakers. And, what? you know, he backs off. He starts running across the street in traffic. You haven't seen this video. I haven't. Oh, here. Let me show you the video here because this is quit. It's pretty stunning. Um, he, see, there he is. He's at the front of his car. And there's, what, four or five. Oh, this guy yeah. rolls up on his motorcycle. They're punching him at oh, this point. Oh, my gosh. They look like now, kids, though. Right. Well, but here, this is something important. Look, he, he gets run across yeah. the street. He's trying to get some help. No one else is helping him. His daughter is in the car when oh, all of this no. happens, unfortunately. So they, you know, what's interesting here, too, is, and I guess the wife got involved, the ex-wife, because the the original indication was this thing, this audio is still rolling here, which is why you hear that, that it was the 12-year-old, I guess it was a 9-year-old little girl who was in the car. Everyone's okay right now. There wasn't even a police report because it all happened. It was caught on video. Um they kind of go after him, he goes after them, and then everything clears out, but it becomes news because of the video. And then TMZ gets a hold of it, and everyone else runs it, and it goes viral. But Jeez. holy cow, was that scary. I do think this, and I've said this before, and I'm probably the worst example of this, Sue, and, and, and I, I thought of this right away. Because no matter how pissed off you are, no matter what you want to do, and I know it's very difficult in the moment to, to do this, right? I'm trying to do it more often when it comes to reacting to people on the road. Yes. Don't, don't get out of your car. You just right? can't. No. Call 911. Do whatever because you don't know what's going to happen next. Nope. I mean, what if one of those guys had a gun or a knife or something like that? Yes. And then he's dead in front of his daughter. Again, I understand the emotions probably better than a lot of people, but wow, there's a lesson there. We've got Sue's News coming up here with Sue after the top of the hour. Also, um... Hall of Fame announcement for Fred. Our own Fred Bonimer is How going into that? the St. Louis Media Hall of Fame. Frank Absher, who runs that, will be here. Also, State Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman. She's going to be on the roundtable on Friday, but will give us a preview of the new legislative session, which kicks off tomorrow. Our own Mark Cox will be there live tomorrow morning with his show in Jefferson City. So Jamie Reed, and I'm disappointed. Believe me, we've tried. She has not done a lot of interviews outside of the free press, but she obviously became a lightning rod in the pages of um, the Free Press earlier this year, she blew the lid off of the mistreatment of minors at Washington University in the Transgender Care Center at Children's Hospital. She had worked there as a case manager for years, and let's face it, that was the impetus for Andrew Bailey to do an investigation. The Attorney General in Missouri, who would join us later on the show as well, it helped lawmakers here in Missouri and other states pass bans on this uh, gender transition, although the governor of Ohio didn't see it that way, a Republican last week, which was disappointing. So the Free Press has done a great job of featuring this story and highlighting how important it is to the rest of the country. And Jamie Reed gave a speech. I guess this goes back to October. It was the U.S. Conference for Genspect, the first conference for that. It's an organization that discourages the uh, 
gender transitioning rather of minors. And her remarks are pretty impressive here, and I wanted to share them because I think they're important. It will serve as a really good reflection to what happened last year. And this would be, by the way, something you should share with your progressive friends when they start talking about kids, you know, doing some of this stuff before they're 18 years old. Jamie Reed said, after I became a whistleblower in February, can't believe it was that long ago, revealing the appalling medical treatment of minors with gender dysphoria, I had some confounding responses from members of the public. The most shocking was that I was somehow a traitor to my progressive beliefs. So many critics and media outlets tried to paint not just me, but the entire issue of transgender youth as a showdown between the right and left. I've commented on this before, too, and I've never really understood it. And I've also pointed out that at least here in Missouri, it's really not that way because I think there's a lot of people on the left, certainly in the middle left. And we have members of our roundtable panel that certainly come to mind. Jane, first and foremost, who have pretty significant issues with some of this stuff that goes on and has been going on with gender transition. But the thing about Jamie Reed that's interesting, and, and I haven't reminded people of this, so we'll let her do it here. She's, um, she's on the left. She's queer. She says, as a lifelong member of the left, a queer woman married to a trans man, that seems to be pretty important here in this whole thing. I'd clearly been brainwashed or paid off. This is the accusations. Or probably even both by conservatives. I had a clear ideological bias. That's what she was told. Even my hometown's left-leaning newspaper was more interested in the political affiliation of my attorneys than the substance of my claims. So she's talking about the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and here's the story there. This is from February. Remember when um, Alexis Zotos from Channel 4 and the others, boy, they had to rally to try to do everything they could to support the trans side of things. And their story at the time was choice of lawyers for whistleblower at St. Louis Transgender Clinic taints her motive, critics say. Oh, rest assured, we didn't get any headlines like that about the accusations that Jamie Reed has leveled, which, by the way, have been backed up, and which, by the way, as she references here, have been backed up by an account even in the New York Times. But here's what's interesting about that. You might remember about four months ago, there was a piece that was written by Azeen Qureshi, who was a reporter for the New York Post. Jamie Reed sheds light on that interview here in, in this particular speech, because as you might imagine, even though it was so painful for the New York Times, and they did it in about the 20th paragraph. Boy, they didn't lead with this, but if you kept reading deep down into that, they had to admit that it wasn't just Jamie Reed that was raising these questions about gender transitioning, that there were all kinds of clinics and the Tavistock Clinic overseas in particular. You know, some of the clinics that have led with this particular type of medical weirdness that they've backed off, right? So this is what she says. This is, I mean, really good when it comes to exposing media bias and it won't surprise those of you listening today. When I met with the New York Times writer, Azeen Garashi, who wrote a story about the controversy after the free press broke the news, she kept insisting that I had changed in some fundamental way. Her piece, which was published in August and mostly confirmed my account, by the way, it did, portrayed me as someone who had left her core values behind. Since joining the clinic, my views had in that reporter's words, again, she's a reporter. This was not an editorial. She was not a pundit. She was a reporter. But again, Jamie Reed saying, this reporter kept pressing her. Well, you've changed. You must have changed because how can you support this? This is right-wing stuff now, right? And in her words, in the article, she described Jamie Reed as her views had hardened and become political. So Jamie Reed's response to that is, I respectfully disagree. I'm no more or less political than I've ever been. And my views certainly haven't hardened. What changed was, this is the important part here, 
What changed was my realization that I, along with so many other smart, well-intentioned, compassionate people like me on the left, was wrong. Now, at this point, I got to mention because, and, and I, I don't like to pick on him, but Steve Butts, who is a state rep and he's become a friend. I love Steve. He's on the roundtable on a regular basis. When we were talking about some of these issues back in the spring, because you remember you had activists that went to Jeff City to testify about a bunch of this. You have, and I get it, Steve's a lawmaker. He's not an expert in everything. So you sit there, you listen to the testimony, and he cited experts. He said the medical experts. And that I, that kind of put me back on my heels because here's what I know about medical experts. I don't know a lot, but I know they got so much wrong three years ago, and they continue to get so much wrong about COVID. They don't really know much about climate change either, the experts, and they keep predicting things that really either aren't happening or haven't happened, and they keep predicting that they can fix it with some sort of solar panel or you know wind energy, right? So the experts get it wrong a lot. Doctors, no offense to those of you who are much more better trained and smarter than me, you get it wrong a lot. You throw darts. That That's part of what you do. I get it. There's not immediate diagnoses available, right? But people who are supposedly experts, gosh, who could I think of that has made some mistakes and has gotten it wrong, who may have been, who am I thinking about? Might have been a uh, president of a prestigious Ivy League university. Hmm. Who, oh, the person who resigned today, Claudine Gay, who plagiarized everything to get to her position, right? The expert. Well, she's wrong about a lot of stuff, right? So Jamie Reed says, it sucks to admit that you're wrong. It's not just humbling. You also have to take a closer look at how you were complicit in misleading others. I'm not proud of my eager participation in the pediatric gender industry. That's a great term, by the way, which has led thousands of youths astray, medically treating their dysphoria when many of them mainly needed counseling. Let's refresh our memory here. When Jamie Reed first wrote about this, she talked about the young man who wanted to have sex with dogs. It was very clear about that. And they hopped him up on hormones right away. That was the diagnosis. It wasn't mental illness because he wanted to have sex with dogs and made it very clear. It was because he was a girl and just didn't know it. That's what they decided. So she says, I was raised to believe. By the way, that sounds like I'm making that up. It's so extreme. I'm not. Read the original report. I was raised to believe in the core principles of the Democratic Party, which includes the willingness to sacrifice one's individual needs for the good of the collective society. In college, Jamie Reed said, I became a radical. I was anti-capitalist, anti-globalization. I read books by left-wing heroes like Noam Chomsky, Howard Zinn, Derek Jensen. I lived in an anarchist collective and was pepper sprayed at protests for everything from the Bush-Gore presidential debate in 2000. Gosh, that's the second reference to, to that particular election this hour. To the Iraq war invasion in 2003. I remained firmly embedded in the radical left for decades. She said, for as long as I can remember, I believed in and fought for transgender rights. My peers and I rebelled against the idea of strict gender roles and gender conformity. The old ideas of what a man and woman had to be were outdated and repressive. But we attacked those problems by trying to change the culture by not irrevocably changing our bodies. And she said, when I became a mother in 2008 at 27 years old, I started to veer away from extremism toward a more centrist mainstream liberalism. Funny how that happens when you grow up just a little bit. I'm hoping the same for my kids, by the way. But I never let go of those original ideas. My convictions are what brought me to work at St. Louis Children's Hospital in 2018. And she said, as she said before, I firmly believe that what the center was doing was important, that, that we were preventing needless suffering, helping young people become their true selves at last. 
Well, the road to hell, as they say, is paved with good intentions. We had good intentions, but we were misinformed. We didn't really understand the Dutch studied studies, rather, published between 2011 and 2014. And like many leftists, we thought that they proved that the use of medical interventions for gender dysphoric youth would vastly improve these children's lives. We weren't aware of what was happening across the pond at Tavistock, the UK's only gender identity clinic for children, which will, by the way, close its doors permanently next year because they fast-tracked medical procedures when they shouldn't have. We weren't aware, she said, of the reversible medical harm we were doing. But when we started to wise up, it didn't mean my entire liberal worldview evaporated. If anything, it reinforced my view, she said. When I realized that was wrong, I didn't instantly conclude that everything that I had been taught throughout my life was a lie. Instead, it stirred me in the desire to be more vigilant and informed. I educated myself. I read the research, not just skimmed, but studied. And I started listening to people, she says, smart people outside of my bubble. The left I know believes science is real. We accept scientific evidence, even if it contradicts our political talking points. That's really not true. I mean, that's what she's pointing out because they don't. The left I know doesn't cower in the face of bullies, which is why whistleblowers like me exist. I went back to my roots. I became that anarchist punk again who was willing to question authority when authority was clearly wrong. I went back to the core values that guided me from a young age, which isn't, by the way, assume those on the left are always the good guys. That's a good point there. Being an adult means accepting responsibility and realizing that you never stop learning. It's not about finding one political extreme or another and holding your ground. That's a good message for both people on the right and the left, by the way. Let me reread that. It's not about finding one political extreme or the other and holding your ground. We all need to be better at listening. The moment you're convinced that you have it all figured out, trust me, you don't. So it's a great speech, and she's so right about some of this stuff, and it's disgusting that everything Jamie Reed says just because it was in the free press and because conservatives like me have kind of run with it, that that somehow disqualifies her from a pretty expert opinion on what she saw at Children's Hospital. I wish they'd close it down just like Tavistock. Get more at 971talk.com. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. 
The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places.